Take it from the top. Take one. This is Within. Shifting the conversation on who is in prison. Recording from the vault in the Denver complex of the Colorado Department of Corrections. I'm Denise Presson, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. I'm Andrew Draper, resident at Sterling Correctional Facility. I'm Ashley Hamilton, the founder and director of the DU Prison Arts Initiative. When I was, uh, how old was I? 21. <laughs> you know, I grew up with this guy. I can't, I cannot, I cannot not say a name. So I'm going to give him a name. I'm going to call him Jason. All right. And I grew up with him. He's one of my earliest friends. We were, uh, we, uh, <laughs> we would share clothes. Um, we played basketball together. He was, he was my buddy. As time passed, we grew up, we became, uh, we were in the same gang. Um, we sold dope together. You know, we went to jail together, juvenile hall. You know, we got out together. At one point, we even found ourselves in the same group home. We ran from that same group home together. Um, anyway, you know, the second car I stole, <laughs> we stole together, uh, Anyway, so as time grew and as we grew, as people, as men, as human beings, as we grew, um, I went to I went I went to prison. He didn't go to prison, right? But we were still friends. He would send me pictures, and you know we would talk about you know what we wanted to do, you know when I got out. And so when I got out, I hadn't changed. If anything, I was worse. And so. It was three of us, and um, we were plotting a robbery. We were going to rob a drug dealer. And uh, what we would do when we would do these robberies, we were Crips. So we would dress up, you know, in all red like we were Bloods. And we would wear red bandanas, you know, so whoever was getting robbed would believe that we were from an opposite gang, that we weren't, you know, who we, who we really were, right? And so we were at the club, and... Uh, you know, we were waiting for the guy to leave the club because we were going to follow him home and uh, we were going to rob him. And so um, we decided we need to go outside first, you know, get ready. So, you know, we were prepared when the time came. So we go outside. It was three of us. So we go outside and uh, we were parked in the very back of the parking lot and um, we had the clothes in the trunk. It was a stolen car because, you know, we weren't going to do this in mom's car. So um, <laughs> um, so we pop the trunk and we get the clothes out of the trunk and we, we change right there in the street. And so uh, and I remember I had tied a red bandana around my face and I had tied it so tight that it it is slid up above my eyes. And so my other buddy, he was like, ah, man, fool, pull that down. So he's he's pulling the bandana down so I can see. And then when I look up, I see a rival gang member that I and I know he's a rival. And um, but I don't say anything. I just I'm thinking like, well, I have this flag on my face. I know he, he doesn't know me, but it, it doesn't click in. It doesn't click in my mind the color that I'm wearing. Right. So he pulls. I finally pulled the bandana, you know, all the way down my face. 
the rival gang member guy, he keeps walking, right? And I, I kind of pay attention to him, but I don't, right? And so uh, we're still, it's myself and my other two friends. Jason is standing to the right of me. My other buddy, he runs to talk to some girls in a car. He's like, hold on, I'll be right back. So he goes to talk to these girls. And at this time, I just heard the gunshots, pow. And then I felt blood just hit me. And Jason just fell. And so I ducked behind the car. And um, I grabbed my gun. And I'm running around the front of the car. But before I can even start shooting back, they skirt off. They're gone. They're gone. They're in the wind. And then Jason, he's just, he's dead. And I look at him and I'm like, damn. That's my homeboy. You know what I mean? That's my friend. Same guy. We used to wear the same pro kids. He was just dead. When my other friend runs up and he's like, oh, shit. I'm like, what do we do? I said, shit, man, I don't know. I said, we can't leave him. And he's like, man, we got to leave him. We got to leave the homie. We got to go. I said, fuck, man. He's just laying there. He's dead. And he don't even, he don't even have a face. He don't even look like himself. And so... He's like, man, we can't, we can't leave him in them red clothes. We got to take him out of them clothes. So we took his clothes off and we put him back in the clothes that he had on. And we get in the car and we, we leave. And we had to go. We went to his house and we had to tell his mom that he got killed. She couldn't find out through the police. We couldn't let her find out no other way. You know what I mean? So we went to his mom's house. <laughs> she knew. How she knew, I don't know how she knew. And the way she looked at me. She shook her head. She went to her room. I imagine she cried for days. And what he used to say, and all I could do was listen to to Blasphemy, right? It's a, it's a song by Tupac. And because that was, that was one of the songs that we would listen to together. And, um, he was like, man, if I if I die, we, we used to talk about death all the time. I never I never I didn't think I would live to be 25, 22. It didn't matter. Right. I didn't care if I died. It didn't matter who would who would go to my funeral anyway. And so all my friends that would go, they would be in jail or they would be dead. So who would be there? It'd be like 10 guys, maybe. And so. He used to say this part out of the song, and the song, it, it said, we're probably in hell already. Our dumb ass is not knowing. Right? And I felt it. I felt it. Like, we in hell. 
We live in we live in a, we're we're in a living hell, and no one cares. No one cares. As we shaped the very first season of Within, we talked a lot about different topics and themes in, in which to include, but one rose to the top pretty quickly, and that was gangs. Right, because gangs are an issue here in the city of Denver. I mean, just in the whole United States, too. By most accounts, gangs are actually on the rise here in Denver. Back in January, news outlets reported that the Denver Police Department would be adding six full-time officers to their gang units. 2017 numbers estimated that there are around 38,000 gang members in the Denver area affiliated with nearly 220 gangs. The FBI estimates that there are around 33,000 active street, motorcycle, and prison gangs in the United States. And um, as you just heard from Draper's story, this topic hits close to home for us in this room. Yeah, and inside the facilities too. Right. And for many families, you know, in the community, you know, it's not, it's not seen so, you know, it's it's swept under the rug. But for many families that people don't know exist, you know, it's it's very hard for them families. Draper, can you talk a little bit about why it was important to you for us to have an episode on gangs? Because there are children right now, literally today, as you're listening to this right now, there is a child in the streets somewhere in America who is becoming a gang member, who's breaking the law as a gang member and who's being misled to, into doing things that he doesn't know, he or she doesn't know that they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know who they're becoming. You know, they don't know. It's a civil war. You know, it's a civil war that no one cares about, that people die to every day. No one cares. You know, if you hear about a school shooting, there, was, there were many school shootings when I was a kid, but because they were gang-related, no one cared. Um, and so... I believe that you have to shed light on the issue. You have to, uh, in order to break the cycle, you have to give people knowledge. You have to educate people and people have to care. They have to care enough, you know, to go to these neighborhoods and, you know, try to help heal the neighborhoods because we're all a part of society. It's all a part of our fabric as a city and we're all connected, you know, one way or another. How old were you when you were initiated? Ten. So a child. Yeah, a child. A 10-year-old can't make a decision like that. Yeah, I mean, they don't have the, yeah. So can you talk about the decision to, what happened? What led to you joining? Um, You would see your friends, your family, you know, you would see all the people that you care about, that you love, and these were your role models, you know? Um, We didn't have... Our role models weren't doctors and lawyers. They were dope dealers and and pimps and hustlers. That's who we looked up to, and that's who we aspired to be like. So when we were kids, we saw them with their money, cars, cool clothes, whatever, and they were gang members. So in order to be like them, you had to become like them. And so that's what that's what we aspired to be. We didn't understand you know, the depth of it. So now sitting on the other side, having been in for 17 years, right? what do you see? Uh, destruction, brainwashing, um, misunderstandings, and 
you know, lost hope. I was going to ask, it's probably the the wrong question, but I asked this to you before one time and I said, well, why, is anybody telling you to leave? Is anybody telling you to go? You know, who's, who's, are they trying to bring you in? Cause I think that's the misconception is, is, I mean, well, you don't get, when you're in the real world in the streets, yeah, in the hood, so it's different. You from don't prison. get recruited like that, right? It's just you hang out, you, right. you hang around. And then because you're, you're always around, it's, you just can't keep hanging around, fool. You, you're going to be where we're from if you're hanging around, right? Right. You just can't just kick it, you know? So, that's that's the way it works and there are people there are some not many but there are some who say you know what get out of here scram go to school but not many and that power that the the power of that message it does not equate it gets diluted it does did anyone ever say that to you yeah certainly what did they say take your ass to school (laughs) and what did you say no, <laughs> or I might have walked away, and you know, but I, I always, I always came back. So, did you ever try to leave? What the the gang before you actually no. left? No, it wasn't. So it wasn't a choice. It was a choice. It was a a misinformed choice, but it was a choice. I believe we all, we all, we all have choices, and we all make decisions. You know, so. I mean, but you don't understand the gravity of that choice. There's no way there's no way that a child can can understand the gravity of here today, gone tomorrow. So what is the gravity? It's it's final. It's absolute. Right? It's absolute. There are there are people there are people who I was looking at a picture the other day, and the picture is with myself and two of my friends, right? And and we were laughing in the picture, and they're dead, and I'm in prison. We're memories. None of us are alive. We're all somebody else's memory. And we were kids. The first time I had a gun, my brother gave me a gun. I was... I was in the uh, sixth grade, and he said, take this fool, take this gun, homie, keep this gun with you. He said, never. He said, this is this is what you need. He said, you don't need nothing else. This is what you need. Because you're walking around, and you wear, you wear these, you're wearing these colors, and you wear, you wear these insignias, and um, you could die. You know what I mean? And before you die, you know what I mean? You you gotta kill them. You gotta you gotta hit first. You can't you can't you can't get hit. We don't get hit. We do the hitting. So you take this, take this strap, take this gun, and uh you know, do what you gotta do. Right? And I was in the sixth grade when he gave me that gun. 
And he wasn't, he was, he was a kid himself. He didn't know what the hell he was talking about, you know? And the people that talked to him, they didn't know what the hell they were talking about, right? So it's a, it's a vicious cycle that we have to break. Now, you're 10 years out of the gang. Right. And you were in an east side, east side of Denver gang, East Denver yep. gang. You were in an East Denver gang. Yep. And uh, you have dedicated your life to now restoring. Yes. To, uh, Can you talk a little bit about what you're up to now? Because you're doing some really incredible work in the world. Uh, yes. I try, I hope, because I owe so many people. I owe I owe society so much, you know, I owe Denver so much. <laughs> and I love I actually love Denver. And um so it's not just my goal, but you know, my friends, Angel Lopez, Chuck Martinez, um, we understand that we owe. So we 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 give back as much as we can. We give of ourselves as much as we can because we can never pay it back. You can never pay that back. In this lifetime, another lifetime, you can never give it back. You know, work. So what we do, you know, we work with the youth, at-risk youth, troubled youth, youth who are already in trouble, deep in trouble, um, and give them our stories, give them our expertise and knowledge in the hopes that they can learn. That actually uh, came up in our interview with Lou Lopez, who we brought on to talk about his experience um, coming from a um, a Denver gang. And uh, Lou is a 44-year-old man who is a resident at the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center. He served almost four years of his 32-year sentence, um, and he has a lot of knowledge and history of the the gang uh, system in Denver and particularly of Chicano gangs based in the Aurora campus neighborhood. Um, some interesting facts to know about Lou um, is that he is a peak mentor. He's a father. He's a published author and a motivational speaker. And he's really passionate about being an active person for change. And we brought him on to talk about his experiences um, in a Chicano gang. And he's a self-proclaimed hood star. Is, that's uh, right. Yeah. But I think something that's really interesting on Lou's perspective of um, being in a gang is that he actually just views it as a label for a specific community. So he posed the question to us, what makes a gang a gang? And how is that term used to keep certain folks policed and othered? Which is a really interesting question. And we're going to get more into that. Let's talk to Lou. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome, yeah. Lou. That Thank sounded you for really good. <laughs> you, you sound good. That's you. That's you. So you're bringing your perspective on the gang culture. What? And I'm sure people listening want to know. Well, what does this guy have to tell? What is? What is? What is? Why? Why are you important? Well, wow, gee. <laughs> we'll just a, get right in there. I am a pretty important individual. No, um, I, I, um, I've been. You know, a generation and generation from Denver, Colorado. And um, I grew up in a certain area. But, you know, because of my family, and we're Latinos, you know, we, we, we consider ourselves Chicanos, which is uh, Mexican-American. Um, you know, um, 
My, my, my father fought for this country. My grandfather fought for this country. But you know what? We were poor. And we've, we've grown throughout the community in all of Denver, all of sides of Denver. But I happen to be from uh, one of the oldest, probably the oldest uh, community in Denver, Colorado. The first house ever built in the city was built in my community. Wow. So we have roots. You, you, know, know? you know, I mean, people can, can Google but I'm curious, you don't have to say like the, the cross streets, but can you generally, are you like kind of generally in Denver? Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, the Auraria campus area. Oh, okay. Um, right. You know, uh, I like to call it the Llama Park area, you know, because there's a certain park that's been there for generations, you know. Um, also, you know, a place where the first housing projects were built, you know. So it is a, you know, and the houses are old. You know, the schools are old, the sidewalks are old, <laughs> you know, so you can tell uh, going through my neighborhood, uh, it's been there for a while. And you were born and raised there? And I was born and raised there. And, uh, you know, the thing about it is it's a beautiful thing about uh, my community and my family and specifically is because I had aunts and uncles all over Denver, I, I can honestly say that I wasn't just raised in that part of Denver. I've seen all different parts of Denver and, and because my family is spread throughout the city, specifically the inner city of Denver. So uh, I guess that makes me pretty darn important. These Denver communities are pretty interwoven. You know, uh, I know a lot about East Denver, you know. Um, my, I was a coach for one of the inner city uh, uh, police athletic league teams in Denver. You know, uh, these side disciples, mm -hmm. you know, so this is what it looks like for me, you know, uh, as far as the communities are concerned. Now, when you want to start talking about gang culture in Denver, uh, my area, the Loma Park area, we in the 80s, I'd like to say because of crack cocaine, when crack cocaine hit my neighborhood, things changed. You know, and we started to become really territorial. I started not recognizing uh, a lot of things that were happening in my neighborhood because people were high and I was young and uh, money was being made. And uh, yeah, we started to become really territorial, you know. And, um, you know, I got to say, I, I really believe that. I remember really young seeing a lot of California influence. A lot of, uh, you know, um, what the gangs looked like out there, you know, because we weren't dealing with the Internet. We, we didn't have uh, such a, a, a ready, uh, you know, highway of information. Right. You know, so, you know, if you were coming from California or we were watching movies about California, we adopted a lot of those things, you know, being on this side of the United States, not knowing a lot about the East Coast, you know. But, uh, yeah, we adopted a lot of those things. And, and uh, you know, we adopted a color and we adopted a symbol, you know, uh, to mark off our territory. At this point, was there already, like, where did this, you know, the title come from? The, like, the, the, the gang title, the name. Was it already there in, at this point? For me, it was. Okay. Um, and where, where, where it originated from, where it came from, 
was not that, you know, it was, you know, I have uncles, you know, my uncles have friends and they're this older generation of men who, uh, you know, from our neighborhood and became territorial and, and told us this is your neighborhood, you know, but never coming up with anything uh, as far as this is what we're going to call our, ourselves, you know. Um, there was a generation before me who uh, came up with, with, with this title, you know, and it, 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 it was called The Gallant Knights Insane. And uh, it was... The ideology behind it was to be gallant, you know, first. Uh, uh, being a knight means being, you know, a, a soldier, you know, a warrior. And, and that's who we wanted to be, you know. And uh, the insane was, you know, the insanity, the, 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 the anger, the, the pain. But that being last, you know. And that was what the older generation, the one generation before me, you know, uh, gave me and said, this is what it means. And this is how we're going to live. And, and, uh, it meant a lot to me, you know, it really did. It meant a lot to me. But see, the thing about me is my dynamic was different as I grew up. Um, I was, uh, one of those people who my dad was a teacher, you know, um, my mom worked really hard at the post office for years. She's just the retired uh, uh, postmaster general of, of Colorado. You know, one of the first women and Latinas, you know, from a poor neighborhood. You know, who, who knew, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, me being a, a very highly recruited athlete in Denver, I went to Mullen High School, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. one of the best sports parochial schools in Denver, you know, in Colorado. And um, which is where I learned about DU and privilege and you know uh what that looks like you know but getting back to the men that i looked up to you know uh i gotta tell you guys crack cocaine changed my neighborhood you know uh it changed the people it changed the community and what i mean by that is just it corrupted everything you know uh we went from just being poor to wanting better thing, things through making money with crack, you know? And, uh, you know, heroin wasn't even so prevalent, not that I remember, you know? Uh, it was cocaine. And, and it, it, uh, it had people fighting over things. And I remember early into the 90s, uh, this is when gangs really hit Denver, Colorado hard. You guys remember the summer of violence. You know, when people were dying, police were killing teenagers and teenagers were killing each other over starter jackets and, and tennis shoes and just for status. Because I remember there was a time in my neighborhood when it was okay to be poor. Mm. You know, I remember my dad used to tell me, son, you know, it's not a crime to be poor. Mm. It's not uh, wrong to be poor, you know, but what we don't want is to be dirty. And he meant that in, in not just the sense of your house is being dirty, being a dirty individual, you know? Wow. And my uncles, you know, his brothers and, 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 and my grandfather and, and my brothers, you know, I have, you know, three brothers. I have a best friend and brother of mine who was murdered behind gang violence, you know? Also a gallant knight insane, you know? Uh, which sadly gave me status, you know? And I used to use that, and it's a terrible thing to say, 
I've given my own brother to this neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know? What else do you want from me, you know, right? And it did. People were like, gee, look at Lou, man. He, you know, what else do we want from him? Mm-hmm. Maybe we should listen to him, you know? And uh, it started to happen in my life, you know? And there was, like I said, there was a time, I don't know about you, but I know young Chicanos in my, because I lived in the Chicano community, you know, there weren't a lot of blacks, there weren't any whites, you know. Um, and I remember the neighborhood choosing them. They had no choice, you know. Their uncles, their dad, they might not have been from my gang, but they were definitely from my neighborhood, and they had to choose, uh, you know, well, they were chosen, right? They, this is what they were raised in. This is all that they knew, right? And I remember those kids, and I used to run and jog past those kids while I was training. You're getting at something very complex, which is to be born into a community that is seeped in a gang. Right. Um, which I think, Draper, you've talked about as well, and I see you nodding your head through this whole conversation. I'm excited mm-hmm. to hear your thoughts, too. Right. Because um, I'm sure they're very similar lived experiences. But can you talk through sort of like, we briefly mentioned earlier, you know, the, the grandmother on the street corner. Right. Is she in the gang? Right. Like, what? Where, where's the line between She's community? She's not, but you protect her as if she is. Yeah. And, you mm-hmm. know, she, she often is construed as uh, uh, people from the outside will say, well, that lady right there, you know, she's from right there, you know. So uh, to us, of course not. That's granny. That's granny. That's just granny. Real quick. Uh, speaking of that, there was this old lady who lived next to me, and <laughs> um, I remember one time, like, she had family, like, grandsons, and they came from Atlanta, and when they came out, they were wearing red when they got off the plane, and then when they came, and I remember being outside, and she told them, like, you are in the wrong neighborhood to wear that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to go in and change that. You right. need to change the color you're wearing. Right. And she wasn't in the gang, but she's she's conscious of yeah. the neighborhood. And, mm-hmm. and they have some type of allegiance to us. Well, that's what mm-hmm. I was going to ask. Do, does, does Granny go, yeah, I live in it and they protect me instead of, right. of saying, no, get out, get out of my neighborhood. Right. She's mm-hmm. like, no, they protect me. Right. And and. and the thing, like, you know, one thing that, you know, I really would like to get through, and uh, I think I was getting there, not everything in my neighborhood was violent and disgusting and, you know, drug infested. And, and you know, there was a good culture there, you know, when, when you can be, I remember running from a certain place, knowing that I might not be safe there or being chased there. And getting to my area and going, you know? Yeah, where it's dangerous for someone else, but it's home to you. Just saying, man, you know what? I made it, man. I, I, you know, now I can feel safe. You know what I mean? Can you tell us about the things you love about your community? Absolutely. I, I just, I love the fact that we were um, so, uh, like, rooting for each other all the time. You know, uh, I remember uh, me being an athlete, 
you know, and everybody, I would run the park or I'd be, you know, practicing with my dad or, you know, and it wasn't very many kids out there that were doing that. But I remember them watching me and saying, he's going to make it, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're going to make sure that he does what he's supposed to do, you know? And I remember even uh, some of the coaches, you know, look, my coaches were wanted by the Denver Police Department, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was the Police Athletic League. Like, that's how, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I just remember them keeping a lot of the corruption away from me, you know, as much as they could. They weren't saying... Um, here, sell crack. That's not how it goes. You know what I mean? We just see things and we, um, I think through suffering, choose things, you know, as we get older, you know, and because I didn't say, oh, I can't wait to be a gang member. Like, we didn't even look at it like that. You know, we're just like, this is where I'm from. This is who, you know, and we're going to be proud of that. And we're going to give back to that, you know? So I'm somebody who didn't just take, 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 you know? sell crack in my neighborhood and, you know, uh, 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 inflict my wrath on, on other innocent people. So how, well, how do you feel about those gang members? And I'm going to use air quotes, those gang members that do, because that's what most people think. Right. And, and, and those are the ones that I think really, really bring the negative things into our neighborhood. And I have to be honest, you know, a lot of those guys didn't last very long. Guess why? Because they either died you know, or they're in prison, you know, and we're talking about the eighties and the nineties. Now, you know, we could, you know, <laughs> we could talk about, you know, what the criminal justice system looks like now and, and how, you know, mass incarceration, you know, it's, that's another story. It's a whole, that's story. a whole another story. But back in the eighties and the nineties, if you were a bad guy, you were being treated like a bad guy. You know what I mean? Uh, you probably weren't going to make it out of the neighborhood, you know? you probably were going to end up in prison or dead, you know? And, and that's what I say to that, you know? Uh, Do you think there's a bigger history to the, our gang culture than, because 80s and 90s, was there a bigger history there? Yeah, I was well, just going to ask that question. Like, I wonder if we can actually zoom back even further before we get too much into, the, like, towards the present of gangs in America, not just Denver, but the construct of the, of the now modern American gang but how that historically came to be, which I, we've had kind of offline conversations about this. Um, but Lou, you well, believe, I'm going to, because you believe it's just labels, right? Is that how you feel? I do. You know, uh, I, this is a good shift because this is, this is my pocket right now. This is where my mind is right now because I realized that in America and, and, and really in the world, labels are a, a terrible thing, you know, and also can be a positive thing. But when it comes to poor people in America, there are so many labels uh, that uh, perpetuate who we are, which is not the truth, you know. And when we're talking about the gang mentality, and we're talking about gang culture, we're talking about choosing a, a, a symbol and choosing a color to represent your belief system, to represent your community. And it sounds a lot like government. Maybe the American flag? It sounds a lot like the American flag. It sounds a lot like... Um, the coat of arms? You know... That uh, from you know, long ago, absolute, maybe? But, but what about the Army versus the Marines? 
Right. What about, you know, what about the Navy versus the Air Force in our own country? Right. I just heard about a, a Navy SEAL that killed an Army Ranger. You know, uh, my dad was in Vietnam. He was, you know, he was in the Army and they couldn't stand Marines. Guess why? Because they didn't wear the same colors. They didn't wear the same. They didn't have the same ideology, you know, although they had the same alternative. Right. Right. So and then if so, then what makes a gang a gang? What makes a gang a gang is choosing a side, right? A, a, a community, right? I, I, you know, I went to Mullen, and Mullen was for the rich. Most of the rich kids went. And, and I thought, for the life of me, while I was taking the bus to school, where I started seeing Jaguars and Corvettes and everything going to my school, right? I thought that these kids were going to hate me. I'm like, these kids ain't going to, you know, I'm some kid from, you know, West Denver. I'm poor. Like, I'm walking to school. I can barely afford these clothes, right? And the funny thing about it was I remember them looking at me like I was like a some type of new animal that they'd never seen. You know, like, whoa, we heard about you. You know? <laughs> like you're that Mexican or that Chicano. Isn't that what you call yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, athlete. We can't wait to see you in action. I had to become a dynamic individual right i couldn't just be that chicano kid from you know uh from where i'm from i had to understand what was happening in my life so that right. i could you had you to know? manage who you were you right. had to manage your identity right i had to be, I had to be proud at the same time because please believe it i was proud of being who i where i was from and what i'd accomplished you know what i'm saying and i remember going to cherry hills um with a, a friend of mine uh, whose family is all about Kent and St. Mary's, and we're talking about security area, and it was just getting through the security was crazy. You know what I mean? But I remember going into her house and her family being there, and they were just like up at arms as soon as I walked in. You know, like they were just like, oh, like looking at their daughter, like, what do you? Do? And we're like just friends, you know. But they're like, what is this? Who? What? What the? You know, like, and all of a sudden I realized that it was the same as when I walked into enemy territory, mm. you know, from my neighbor and saying, oh, I don't belong. Something, something's uncomfortable here. The energy here is off. You know what I mean? And I started to realize, gosh, it's almost the same mentality, you know? And, and, and uh, a sense of protecting. A sense of this <clears throat> is my turf. turf. Yeah. And you don't belong here, you know? And we're going to make sure that you don't come back here, you know? And, you know, and, and not even getting to know me, right? Not even saying, you know, I had a letter jacket and I was, you know, decked out. I thought that was cool. I thought that was going to get me some acceptance, right? I'm wearing the same colors you wear, right? And they were like, no, dude, you know, you can talk to him, but not in here. You know what I mean? And I remember them. And I, ne- I remember trying to come back to visit her and I wasn't allowed on that property anymore. No. You know, and she would, I, I would tell her, you know, I can't come to your house anymore because I don't. And plus, who wants to go back there? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Who wants to, you know, do you think I just, if there was a neighborhood that I knew I didn't belong in, I'm just like, yeah, I can't wait to go back and, you know, risk my life. And you know what I mean? Of course not. You know, or just risk being humiliated, you know, risk, mm-hmm. you know, feeling having unwa- that. Feeling unwanted. Right. Having that energy. Uh, I realized that it wasn't just my community. It wasn't just happening in my space, you know what I mean? And I, I, I got to be honest, that kind of made me feel good, mm. you know? It made me feel like I wasn't, 
in a unique situation. Mm. You know what I mean? It made me feel like they're, uh, people are people, you know? And the, the further that I got in school, um, the greater uh, understanding I got that we're not all so different. You know what I mean? And it changed my life. It changed my life. It changed my perspective. And it made me dynamic. So it comes down to, is it literally like, we've had this conversation, Draper, is it literally like physical land? Like when we say like turf, is it, are we, um, whether it's the the wealthy folks in whatever neighborhood or, you know, what are we guarding? What, is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it cultural? Is it all of the above? And I think this gets back to this question of how did gangs quote gangs, right? Because we're kind of starting to get into this larger conversation about what a gang really is, which I think is so important. Absolutely. Um, as someone who was in a sorority. I think they're gangs. As someone who... Symbol, hello. Yeah. History. What are we guarding? Yeah. What, and I, and I want to hear from you too, Draper, when you feel... Well, I believe, again, it, it just depends where you're from. Um, and the history of the gang, the history of the neighborhood and the unfolding and the way it unfolds and who's involved. Um, because in my neighborhood, you know, as opposed to, you know, Lou's neighborhood, you know, there were more gangs within the, within the community, right? So you can have like 20 different subsections of a gang you know, and each one claims a different block. Right. Right. Like an actual physical space or they claim this park. Um, yeah. Even, you know, even in your community in those times, the early, the early 90s, late 80s, mid 80s. Um, and a gang isn't a gang without a uh, without a foe. Right. You have to have a foe. You have to have someone that you you war against. Right. Because. Of whatever reason, they invaded. They invaded your turf. Um, they robbed somebody. They stole something, right? And um, <clears throat> for whatever reason, you have to have a foe. So you're defining a gang as somebody that has to have a foe, a group of people that have to have a foe. You have well, to. Have, yeah. Well, I mean, opposition. Take, like like Lou said, I mean, you have football teams, right? With an insignia and colors and right. numbers, and they have a foe. The Denver Broncos is they have three everybody, foes. Yeah. everybody. Yeah, you know the Raiders. <laughs> the, uh, I hate the Raiders. Yeah, the Chiefs. I hate the Chiefs and the Chargers. Right, mm-hmm. and so those are their rivals. And when you when you go into gang culture, that's when it becomes violent, and it, it turns into something else. Because, like Lou said, it is your family. Right. These are these are the people you grew. These are your childhood friends. You didn't know when you were running around in the first grade, in the second grade, yeah. that one day he might be murdered. Right. Or you might be murdered or, you know, sent away for the rest of your life or his life. You didn't know you were just playing. You're playing basketball or you were playing football or you were just in the street, you know, with jacks, you know, or hopscotch, whatever. You were just friends. And you were family. You didn't know that later it would evolve and turn into something else. And so then what are you what are you supposed to do? Right. 
when you feel like you're at a loss, when you're when your friend is murdered and you feel as if the justice system doesn't support you or the justice system doesn't care about you. Because every time you see the justice system, when you see the police, it's gang unit. Right. And they're in there and they're and they're controlling you. Either they're controlling you or they're taking away someone you love out of your community. Right. Every time you see them. So you don't have a you don't have a congenial relationship with these people. Right. So when when someone you love is murdered, who do you call? Right. So was there a point you think, and maybe it gets back to sort of the war on drugs, where it went from being a sense of celebration, a sense of community, a sense of our people, a sense of the foods we eat, the colors we wear. These are my this is my community. I cross onto this street and I am safe. That feeling, I can imagine it sounds so beautiful, right? Yeah. When we're talking about it like that. Was there a moment where, or a period of time where it went from that to something violent? Well, or this, was there always violence in it? This is the underlining thing. And, and this is the truth about any gang, you know, uh, I, just, I just hate that word, you know. I just think it's such a label. But we're talking about a threat, you know. Whenever there's a threat right to a community and what i mean by threat that means i'm i'm challenging your belief hmm. i'm challenging what you're used to i'm challenging what you look like you know i'm challenging you you know and most communities and, and or gang right doesn't like that they don't want change they don't want somebody especially economically mm-hmm. you know we don't want some poor guy hanging around with us we don't want some rich guy, even us. We don't want some rich guy hanging out with us. What's that going to make us look like? We don't got clothes like that. We don't have a car like that. We're going to do pilot in his car. No, I'd rather take the bus. There comes pride. Hmm. You know, these are fundamental things of, you know, uh, us being human, that we're not so different. You know, I mean, you want to see two uh, gang members. I keep doing the, the air quotes, the air quotes. Uh, you know, argue, right? They're at each other's throats. Um, you're this, you're that, you did this, you're that. Nope, that's wrong. You're, nope, that's right. You know, th- it's just a, it's a mess. But if you turn on the TV and you see a Democrat argue with a Republican, it's the same stuff. It's the same, I'm right, you're wrong, you're threatening my beliefs, you, you know, you're you know, they call each other everything, blue, left, you know, liberal, you know, you're, you're, you know, privileged. And, you know, that's horrible. These are terrible things that we do. Uh, and it's not just in America, you know, it's all over the world. But the reason why I believe that it's a label for my community, right? Why, you're, why, why so many have come in to say, oh, we got to go clean out the gangs. They're violent. They're criminals, Right. They call, they're calling themselves Crips or Bloods or G's or GD's or whatever, you know. Got to clean them out because I think it's, it's, it's focusing on our class. It's focusing on our race. And it's to take light off what's really going on. We're talking about gang mentality and gangs in terms of uh, sort of existing throughout time. That means that they serve a positive purpose somehow. Absolutely. I want to talk about what that is. What is it? What are people getting 
um, from these, from this, from your interactions in these groups, right. what is it about these groupings of people who other, other people, um, what is it that people are getting out of it? Well, you know, oftentimes when you decide to sell yourself completely, now this is all you are, because there are men like that that are part of who, what I'm a part of, they think that this is all that they're ever going to be. Mm-hmm. This is all that I am. And you know, those, those are the men that lost trust in their foundation and they lost, their foundation was their family and they couldn't trust their family. So they had to trust me to be their brother. Mm-hmm. They had to trust me to be their dad. They had to trust me to be their uncle, you know, because they couldn't trust their own family. You know what I mean? And, 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 and that's a breakdown of the family, the social structure, in these neighborhoods, right. my bad, go ahead. And that's not everybody, no. but, but, but there are men and young teenagers that think that this is all that they are, which is not the truth, you know? So when they can listen or hear somebody like me, right, who's been through some things, knows some people, you know, um, has not always taken from my neighborhood, has given back to, and when I say, man, look, It's okay that we love each other, you know? When I say it's okay that we can be positive and move each other through our struggle and through our suffering um, in a good way without saying, you know, here's some dope because I'm trying to help you further yourself in life. That's love, right? That's not love, you know? That's saying, here, go kill yourself. And we want to start, what I'm trying to do and what I'm doing every day when I speak to people is I think I'm opening their minds and showing them a perspective of what real love is, you know? Let's, let's struggle together. If we're going to be poor, that's okay. You know, if we're going to be Chicano, that's okay. If we're going to be black, that's cool. Even if we're going to be prisoners, that's all right, you know? But let's not give each other death all the time, you know? Let's not... Let, let, I'm not going to put my suffering on you in a negative way, right? I'm not going to hand you a blade, a gun. I used to think, look, man, when my boy gets out of prison, I got to make sure and hand him a sack, hand him some dope, hand him a gun, so that he can further him, himself and he won't, you know, he'll how become... Did, he'll how become, did you come to that shift? That's huge. Yeah, well, it's because that's what it looks like. It's like he won't respond to me if I give him a righteous tool, you know what I mean? And I was wrong, you know, I, I, because that was a reflection of how I felt about myself. When did that change for you? You know, that, I, that happened, and I call it the place of suffering where I believe man, men all stand, men and women stand, uh, whether it's deserved or whether it's not deserved, you know. And suffering for me, for me is the fuel of life. And, 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 and at a, probably I got shot, you know, look, I was running and I was getting ready to make my way out of poverty and make my way and be an example through athletics. And I got shot in the back with a seven millimeter and, you know, had to learn how to walk and all and talk and do all, all that again. Was you know? this a gang related shooting? And it was not gang related, you know, it was uh, behind my beautiful cheerleader girlfriend, you know, and, um, you know, trying to protect her. You know, and so I suffered through that, and that's when I decided to invest all the, my talents, all of uh, 
my suffering and I sowed it into a place called corruption, you know, and I wanted to, to, to make people pay and I was angry and my mind started shifting about what real love looks like, you know, and I wanted you to participate in my corruption. That way we could love each other that way. Mm. And that would create a community and we could respect each other for that. And I forgot some of the very values that I was given uh, as, a, as a kid. You know, my dad used to say, son, if you go to a mall and you steal, right? I, I don't care if you get caught or not. I want you to know that somebody's always watching you. And when you do get caught, who cares? Who cares that you stole something? Who cares? You're right, son. It's not a big deal, right? Everybody lives and walks away. But what happens to the next Chicano that walks in that, in that store? They're going to think he's a thief too because of you, mm. right? And uh, I lost that because I was suffering in my life, you know? And, and, and I tell guys all the time, when we fill up with suffering, and we all do that, we all have to suffer in life, you know, it's the fact of life. Some people use suffering as fuel to move them in towards destiny. You know what I mean? You see people with arms cut off and legs cut off and they're freaking running these, you know, marathons and they're doing amazing things through suffering, you know? And that's when I made a decision either to use the fuel of life, which is suffering, as an investment in corruption, which is what I, I did at 19 or 20 years old. You know, or was I going to use it like my brothers used it? You know, I've gone through some of the very same things I have. They grew up in my household, too. And they're living their life towards destiny. Now, obviously, there's, you know, redemption in life. And that's what I'm experiencing now. You know, and that's how we show our communities and prisoners that there is redemption in our life. Right. And I'm showing you and I'm telling you that it's OK. You know, it's OK to find redemption, you know, because you're tough enough. That's for sure. What you're saying is very deep. That's it's just it, it, it's very introspective. But it's also making me think of like the audience that's listening to this and they're like, ah, you know, it, it's a, a snake oil, snake oil and a bill of goods, you know, um, <laughs> it, it. But you are saying everything I think that we all feel in this room and what this podcast is about is trying to get people to see the human element. And even though it's a community of people, a culture of people, it, it's not just that. There is good that comes out of it. It is, right. it is the people protecting granny on the corner. And right. maybe it is keeping the street safer, but can we take it to the next level to where violence is not the go-to answer? One, one thing that I talk about in, in my book, and I, I do have a book coming out, and it's called Revealed in the Pit. And it's a book that I wrote. Uh, it's like a journal. It is a journal that I wrote in, in a solitary confinement behind. How long did you do? You know, 30 days. 30 days. And you, you know? wrote a book in 30 Be, days? Because believe this, that's enough for me. You know, <laughs> I know there's some guys you probably talked to that have done years and years of solitary confinement. I am so glad that's not my story. And I applaud them and it gives me a perspective for sure about what real suffering looks like, you know. But for me, I suffered in there, you know, and I uh, wrote about it, you know. 
and I, and I and I found revelation. But I'm also writing a book called The Weathered Soldier, and that's about who we listen to as a society. We're always looking to some polished individual, uh, an athlete, uh, a, a mega church pastor, uh, you know, um, dare I say Michelle Obama, you know, type of person mm-hmm. who maybe hasn't been in the fight for a long time. You know what I mean? Whereas we're, when we, there's people like us, which is I'm, I'm so blessed to be a part of this today. So thank you. Uh, saying, hey, let's listen to the people that are in the fight, right? That are fighting every day to find redemption. That, are, that, that maybe the person that they love the most hurt them the most in their life, you know, which happens often, you know, raise my hand, mm. you know, uh, and say, let's listen to them. How, how are they, how do they come out of it? You know, how, what, what season are they in their life? And how do they move to that season? And why am I stuck in this one? You know what I mean? When, when I talk to some of these guys in here, you know, like my boy right here, they give me a perspective that is amazing. It's off the charts because I'm thinking, what the heck is wrong with me? Why was I crying all these years? And why have I been participating in the same stuff over and over again when it could have been worse? You know what I mean? And, and it's um, perspective is everything. And that's what's a blessing about this podcast is that we're giving you people, you know, the perspective that hopefully changes uh, things because your circumstance might not always change. You know, circumstances sometimes stay the same. You know, I guess what? I might always be poor, (laughs) you know, but that's okay. But my perspective about my worth and my uniqueness about finding redemption, right? And the essence of life, the fuel of life, I believe, is suffering, but the essence of life is love. If you had to define success for you now, what would it be? Success for me is being in service uh, and and making a difference and wronging the rights. I mean, uh, making the the wrongs right, you know? Whatever I've done uh, in my life... Uh, I want to show my children, which I have six children, three girls and three boys. Wow, congratulations. Um, That's amazing. Thank you. That's a big deal Um, to to have six children. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and and providing something of of more of a foundation of love and worth, you know. Money, and and, and I know what it's like to have nothing. I'm in prison. I have nothing, you know. Uh, And still feeling like I can be such a pillar, you know, and now having a voice, you know, uh, I really believe that we do the things that are possible and God does the impossible. And, you know, this is something that I got to tell you, I thought was impossible, you know? And so by me having a voice and being provided one, this is success to me today. I'm successful, you know? And, uh, Tomorrow, I hope I'm just as successful, and I think it's just a, a one day at a time type thing. I know that sounds cliche, but for a prisoner, you know, we don't live one day at a time. We live one breath at a time, you know, and we're constantly being reminded of the wrongs that we've done in our life, you know, and uh, success for me is leaving a legacy for my children to say, hey, I'm going to remember how my dad stood up to the stuff that happened to him in his life, the choices that he made. I'm not going to remember how he created it in the first place. Mm. Do you feel good, Lou? 
I do. Again, thank you for having me. This was an opportunity my family was really excited about. I was excited about it, and I hope I uh, did some justice here. I hope I did uh, did well. Here at Within, we have a resident poet, William S. Graham. And Will is a resident at DRDC. And while we are interviewing folks, he sits in the corner, which we've come to call Will's Corner, and writes poems for folks as we're talking to them. This poem is for Lou. Pollinating Daisies. These are not plants. They're people. Designed to grow. Who waters them? Who lets them know? If you drop into your body, you'll emerge anew. Absolute torture. Silly reflections dance with fate. I'm comfortable around care, connecting with my surface. A prison full of children, misunderstood innocence, worried about time. What time do we eat? What time do we cry? What time do we create? What time do we look them in their eyes and calmly say, we are not plants. We have to know we are people, humans, designed to grow. Educate us, show us, heal us. Tell us your truth. Next time on Within. Sarah Berry, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. My word meant absolutely nothing at that point because I was what everyone else had created me to be. Tarina Flor Alexander, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility but I had suffered from PTSD since sixth grade. That was the first time I was held at gunpoint. That's where it comes from that I need to protect kids because no one was there to protect. Well, my mother protected me as much as she could, but I became the protector that day and from then on. We wanted to include more voices from incarcerated folks across the state of Colorado. So we started a newsletter. It's called Reverberations from Within. If you're interested in reading it or in sending pieces of writing into it, visit our website at thisiswithin.com. If you're incarcerated in the state of Colorado and you want to submit material to our newsletter, please speak to your programs manager in your facility. Within is a collaborative production between the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative and the Colorado Department of Corrections. Our hosts are Denise Presson, resident of Denver Women's Correctional Facility, Andrew Draper, resident of Sterling Correctional Facility, and executive producer and DUPI founder and director, Ashley Hamilton. Within is produced by Caroline Sheehan. Associate producers are Michael J. Clifton and Sarah Berry, both of whom are incarcerated. Mr. William S. Graham is our resident poet as well as a resident of the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center. Media production and creative support by Angel Lopez and Chuck Martinez, both of whom are residents of Sterling Correctional Facility. Our newspaper liaison is Terry Mosley Jr., who is also a resident of Sterling Correctional Facility. Sound engineering and editing by Jonathan Howard. A special thanks to Dean Williams and the executive team of the Colorado Department of Corrections, Deputy Director Matt Hansen, Wardens Ryan and Jeff Long, Major Fowler, Lieutenant Nygaard, 
and all of the staff at the Denver Reception Diagnostic Center and Sterling Correctional Facility, the public information officer for the DOC, Annie Skinner, and the Reverberations from Within newsletter team and all of our DU Prison Arts Initiative students across the state of Colorado. Full episode details, resources, and additional content, including how to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter, Reverberations from Within, is located on our website at thisiswithin.com.